Happy Friday. It's time for the Richard Skipper Friday Wrap-Up Show. Who and what are you celebrating today? Richard Skipper believes every day is worth celebrating. But today, we wrap up the week with a dose of positivity. You never know who might show up or what might happen. So get ready. Your skipper is now coming on board, and we are ready to set sail. All aboard. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates, and we're going to wrap up this week. So many crazy things are happening, and just as we're starting, uh, my dog, Benny, starts barking. Uh, Something crazy is going out outside the door. Um, Mercury is in retrograde. It started today, Uh, but Mercury is a time for us to rethink, uh, retread, Re, uh, re, uh, retake our steps. Step back for a moment. It's not a time to panic, everyone. So I don't know what's going on out there, but if you hear him barking, that's what it's all about. Anyway, I want to thank you all for being here today. Uh, and uh, it's National Chocolate Covered Cashews Day. Uh, that's something we can all celebrate. It's also National Clean Out Your Medicine Cabinet Day. You know, it's very interesting. Um, I did a little research about this day, and it's something that we all need to do. And I discovered that how dangerous it is to actually flush down, uh, you know, uh, medications uh, that have expired. And yes, they do expire uh, down uh, the drain down our toilets, whatever, because it does get into our water supply. So don't do that. And also don't just toss it out into the garbage because it gets into the soil, something that you may not know about, but we learn about these things. And it is also National Kindergarten Day. The man who invented the process of kindergartens was born on this day. So there's so many things to celebrate if you take the time to do so. So our resident astrologer, Sherry Callahan, from my hometown of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, I asked her uh, to pick a number, one through four, because I have four amazing women all waiting in the wings to come on, and she picked door number three. Now, none of them know who's behind which door, So I hope they're all ready, Uh, but I'm so excited because I am bringing on someone who is making her debut today. We have been friends for a long, long time, and I've been trying to get her on this show for a long time, but she's doing it today. Sarah Berg, you are here. I am so excited. (laughs) Who and what are you celebrating today? Oh, but I, I mean, hello, Richard. I always would love to celebrate you. So uh, you and I have been celebrating together for many, 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 many years. Yes. And um, I wasn't actually prepared for that question. So I wasn't quite sure who I'm celebrating today, but definitely you. Thank and, you. And uh, I can celebrate me. Celebrate you. <laughs> now, Sarah, you and I met uh, doing stock together. Summer stock. We did. Summer stock. Yes. Summer stock. That was a summer. <laughs> and I, and I, I mean, when I think of, I mean, all of the adventures that you and I have had, yes. uh, Sarah and I, for years, we did a show where you portray, uh, portrayed Carol Burnett and I portrayed Carol Channing. Uh, and we did the Christmas carols. We did several incarnations of that. Um, I, you know, one of my favorite memories uh, is performing in Martha's Vineyard yeah, on New great. Year's Eve. That doing a crossover ball. Yeah. But do you recall that I re- do you know what I remember most about that night? I got food poisoning. Do you remember that? that? I remember this too. Yes, I do vividly remember this. And and there so there was a big nursing element. <laughs> yes, and your you know, and you had a, a a newborn baby. I had a fairly newborn baby. I brought my my husband and my nanny. And but he uh, every toy it reminded me of uh, the Grinch that stole Christmas. Not that he was a Grinch, but with all of the toys that made all the noises and everything. Because every toy that would make noise, he wanted to play with. And we were just torturing you on purpose because you were sick <laughs> as a dog, and we I had was every loud toy. Yes, was, oh my and God. we were all staying in this little house where you could not escape. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we're going to celebrate you today. And Aww, you, thank you, Richard. 
Um, but, you know, I received a press release last week because you, you're very, very busy, uh, uh-huh. but you have a project that we're going to talk about today sure. uh, that everybody can take part in they can. the comfort of their own homes. They can. And I actually did just send you a, li- a link uh, through your email so that if, if you wanted to put it up, it's called Brave New World and it's a Zoom play. And it is actually was written through most of the pandemic by two lovely writer, actor, they're very interesting people. They're Shakespearean actors, really, both of them, Emily Carding and Miguel Perez. And um, they started to create this play out of, out of feeling a need for connection. And they were working on some other Zoom plays that were Shakespearean, like where all the actors were all over the world. When they first, when everybody started first creating Zoom plays, they did, I think, a Hamlet together first as a Zoom play. They've never met. I've met Emily. I have never met Miguel. Um, so they brought me in to help with the script because I work a lot as a dramaturg originally. Um, because what the script is, is it's a whole series of excerpts from Shakespeare, but they've written a structure story that goes around all of their excerpts. So there's actually a play that the excerpts are a part of, which is really interesting. And uh, not only interesting, quite moving and very funny, and they are wonderful. So we've been right, rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing on Zoom, and this will be our live performance on Sunday at 3 Eastern Standard Time, because one of them is in Los Angeles and the other one is in England. Um, so, <laughs> so all of our rehearsals are in very interesting time zone connections. But when we do the live Zoom performance, we will also be filming it. So the tickets are pay what you can. It's not a big ticket price. Mm-hmm. And then every person who buys a ticket for this Sunday before Sunday will also get a link so that they to the recording so that they can watch it at any time. We are going to be accepting feedback and eventually they're going to put it up on YouTube with a with a to be seen. It was written as a Zoom play. It's not to be done on stage. So um, that's been a great pleasure. I've had so I mean, I'm personally very privileged because every time I get to direct them, all I get to do is sit there and laugh and you know, make calm and then get picky, picky, picky. But they're they're in, insanely, insanely wonderful to work with. If you know anything, you wouldn't know Emily. Or Emily does a lot of work in England at the National. She's done a couple of one-woman shows that she's created that are Shakespeare pieces. Um, Miguel does a lot of voiceovers for um, for all sorts of cartoons in Los Angeles, and he's also they're both Shakespearean uh, experts and and written books, and so they're they're quite accomplished. Um, and it's, it's been, it's been so much fun. So I think we'll be probably continuing to work on it, but this is what we've been pushing for is Shakespeare's birthday. That was the whole idea of doing it this Sunday, um, because that's Shakespeare's birthday. So that's great. Is there any connection between the two actors before this? Only because they did, only because they met doing Zoom plays of Shakespeare, um, but now, you know, the three of us are uh, trying to figure out how to spend our little bit of money in three separate pubs at the same time, uh, <laughs> drinking the proceeds. That. That's how we... <laughs> I just want to let everybody know that for anyone who's interested, the link will also be on my YouTube channel. And, Thank you. Uh, so that you'll be able to just go to the YouTube channel and copy it from there. We've got it scrolling on the bottom of the screen now. And Great. I know that scrolling on the screen, it's uh, difficult for someone to grab it. Uh, but it will be on my YouTube channel, uh, so you'll be able to get that. Um, is there a different approach uh, for you um, as a, a director uh, to come in and direct actors through Zoom as you would if being in the actual space? Obviously, you don't have uh, the physicality of being in a theater, uh, but what's the biggest challenge for you? That's a wonderful question, Richard. It really is. It, it's so because I mostly direct stage and do not have a huge amount of experience directing television or or film. The, it's a combination. Now, as an actor, I did study all those things, and I did study acting in film and acting in television, and did television commercials and others. So the the camera act is a combination because it is a play, and they have written a play, even though that's like excerpts from Shakespeare. And we don't rewrite those. Um, it, it's, it's physical within a limited space. Uh, and you have to make the play happen. But it's a lot through the faces. And it's a, uh, the, the vocal is a little different. And these are very, very, very trained Shakespearean actors. So it's been wonderful fun to work on the sizing 
and the focus uh, into the camera and and then to let them really let the play happen. So yes, it is different. It's different. I've also done some other Zoom plays. Um, I did one which was a very big comedy with a lot of people and it's supposed to be a sex comedy that was a little hard to do when we weren't in each other's boxes, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> what time is this on Sunday? Three o'clock Eastern Standard Time. So like eight o'clock in England, quiet buttons, yeah. eight o'clock in England and uh, what must be 12 noon at um, in in Los Angeles. Okay, well, stick around. Uh, we're we're going to uh, keep you here. Yes, thank uh, you. I have uh, five mystery questions lined up. Okay. You can pull your own mystery question, one through five, and then okay. we're going to bring on our next guest. Okay, fabulous. So pull a number, one through five. Three. Okay, and your question is, it's a, oh, this is an interesting one. Choose a new habit and take it on for the next 30 days. New so habit. What's a new habit that you could adopt and you're going to come back in 30 days and tell us about it. Oh, okay. Great. <laughs> Marvelous. So what is it? Uh, I have to decide right this second. <laughs> well, you can let us know at the end of the show if you'd like. Oh, to I, can, I think I'll have to do that because my okay. brain's going habits. I have okay, no bad habits. Great. Why would I so, want to change um, any of my habits? So you're going to bring on our next guest. Uh, oh. Pick a number one through three. I'm going to pick two. Well, I think there's a connection there because <laughs> you, know, you know this next person. I was trying and, to look you know, very sneaky. Right. Now, I had mentioned earlier, today is National Kindergarten Day, and it was named after Frederick Wilhelm August Froebel. I hope I got that right. And he's credited with starting the very first kindergarten in Germany in 1837. And uh, I have to ask you, do you recognize this girl? I do. But of course, I, 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 I would know her almost like my, five minutes later. <laughs> well, before I bring her on, uh, let well, actually, let me just bring her on and uh, uh, just talk amongst yourselves. Uh, okay. I, 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 I'm having, you know, uh, well, here she is. Yay! There she is. Hello, hello. Hello, uh, hello. Groovy Shelley, if you're nasty... Yes. So don't. And even if you're not, there we go. You the the Jufro that I used to have for years. I always thought you looked adorable. You were so funny about that. Look at all that cute hair. Sarah has aged about 20 minutes from this picture. This picture's in the 80s. I've had no help whatsoever. That is uh, the first play I ever wrote. I wrote with a wonderful friend who is no longer with us named Jerry Hazelmeyer. Uh, and it was kind of the easiest way I can put it is it was Sex in the City long before Sex in the City. It was about four women in Chicago who had all known each other from Northwestern uh, and were trying to be actresses in Chicago and shared an apartment. It was cast with four women who had all gone to Northwestern, who wanted to be actresses in Chicago. Where I came up with this idea, I have no idea. Right. But the only thing I knew when we first started, there were two things. I didn't want the women to be at each other's throats. I wanted them to be friends. And I mean, honest friends, but friends. I didn't, But I didn't want to see cat fights and things like that. And I knew that one of the characters had to be based on Sarah Berg. Inspired <laughs> by Sarah Berg. Thank really? you. Yes, that was right. I was the character of Pat, the yeah. the scene scene designer, the the set designer, and I spent the entire the play doing wrong. Can do anything. Best friend. If you needed her to fly a plane at a moment's notice, she would pretty do much. It. And and for some reason, men weren't always okay with that. True, but it was really really a very sad thing, especially since I apparently really liked men a lot. As we yeah. all did. Well, in that play, yes. wrong with that. Yeah. So as I mentioned, it is National Kindergarten Day. And mm -hmm. I asked for this photograph. Tell us a little bit about this little girl. Well, she was, surprisingly enough, uh, very theatrical, uh, very, very silly, very funny. She sang a lot. In kindergarten, I had a very interesting thing happen. My teacher, Miss, Mrs. Kelly used to leave the classroom for half hour, hour at a time. I have no idea where she went, but she would put me in charge 
And part of my job was to teach reading, teach children how to read. Wow. And I realized later that this was not typical. And to this day, I wonder, was she off drinking? Did she have another job? <laughs> she, you know, uh, was, did, did she have a nightclub act that she was rehearsing in the afternoon somewhere? I, I don't know where she went, but she would leave and just say, you're in charge. And the other thing I remember, which is this is a cliche that never worked in my life. One of the games we all loved to play in kindergarten was, you're going to laugh, doctor. But it wasn't that doctor. We would break up into groups, usually groups of three or four. And, you know, one person would be the child and one person would be the mommy or daddy or whatever. And one person would be the doctor. We weren't hung up on gender as to who did what. And the doctor would come visit and examine the child just sort of perfunctorily like this, you know, and say, oh, I'm so sorry. Your child is going to die. Oh, well. <laughs> good, good game. And, and, and then the child would die and the parent would go, oh, I'm so sorry. My child has died. Well, okay, thank you. I've got to go see another patient. So that's well, what I thought playing doctor was, because that's how we did it in my school. Well, when did Groovy Shelley come about? <laughs> Groovy Shelley came about this, uh, the turn of the century, when I wanted to start performing again. I had given it up for a very long time because I've been a television writer and, and I'd written a lot of nightclub acts and comedy and song lyrics for other people. And I wanted to do it myself. And I realized that I wanted to bring to life the songs and the philosophies and the personas of the great women of the 60s and early 70s. Carol King, Dusty Springfield, Petula Clark, Mama Cass, Linda Ronstadt, Leslie Gore, Scylla, Lulu, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the Motown women. Um, and I've, I just wanted to keep their songs alive and I wanted to just, I, I didn't want people to forget how important all those women were. They were never given, you know, equal treatment by record companies, by radio stations, some radio stations, uh, even if there were, you know, if Joni Mitchell and Dusty Springfield and Laura Nero each had songs in the you know, or albums in the top five, they could only play one female artist an hour. Well, can I show them a glimpse of how groovy you really are? Oh dear, okay. <laughs> Here she is, folks. This is one of those songs that I've borrowed and rewritten the words to. I dedicate it to all the baby boomers in the room, you Gen X and Gen Y, just bear with us here. <laughs> Once the 60s were a vibrant bloom A world ruled by the baby boom Those teens are nearing Medicaid That decade has now decayed The middle aging of the age of Aquarius Hippies now have hip replacements. Rocker guys like Mickey Dolans now stick cameras up their colons. Massive influx, replaced acid, drop Viagra, when they're flaccid. The Rolling Stones have brittle bones. Soon again, Keith will have no teeth. Once the doors send parents into shock. Jim Morrison exposed his cock. The teens who worshipped at his hem now shield their kids from Eminem. The middle aging of the age of Aquarius. Age is nefarious. 
were bummers. Now they schlep their kids in Hummers. Sex and drugs and rock and rollers all are busy pushing strollers. Many have bifocals, wear them. Once dance nude to procal harem. McCartney's vamps, now call him Gramps. And Stephen Stills drops liver pills. I love this, but you know what I love the most about this? That it still says myspace.com. I know, that's how old that is. I have actually changed. I have replaced Eminem with Kanye West. Oh, I love it. I love it. So pick your mystery question, one through four, and then we're going to bring okay. on our next guest. One through four. Uh, let's go with number two. Number two, and your question is, what's something that you will never, ever do again in this business? That I will never, ever do again? Uh, print scripts. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So our next two guests today, <laughs> we're going to celebrate the movies with both of them. So pick a number one through two. Oh, me? Yes. Let's go with number one. Number one. And I'm going to show another clip because, and I'm so excited and she knows who she is when I tell you, she has just won two major awards in New York. She just won the Bistro Award, and she also won the Mac Award uh, for debut. Uh, first of all, here is her kindergarten picture uh, celebrating kindergarten day. And she also, and here she is, singing Aww. out. We love this. And, uh, and I'm going to show a little clip. She has an incredible show uh, celebrating, uh, well, You'll see, and then we'll talk about this on the other side. Here she is. Make someone happy. Make just one someone happy. Make just one heart the heart you sing to. In an interview with James Grissom in 1991, Elizabeth said, oh, everything fades away, everything passes. You can survive anything if you choose to do so. I kept a journal. I would sit backstage, cross-legged on the floor, writing with my favorite fountain pen. And one day, Elizabeth looked down at me and said, Annie, that had better not be about me. <laughs> and I wait for the heart of a little boy sailor to come break the bottle and help me be free. Elizabeth and I often fell in love with our co-stars. And when he asked me to the Emmys, I called Elizabeth immediately. Elizabeth, oh, Annie, I'll set it all up. A private viewing at Saks in Beverly Hills. Champagne and everything. Oh, do you want to borrow my jewelry? <laughs> because I love to be married. Any regrets? Nope. I'm unregrettable. I loved each one in my way at the time. After Burton Burton, there was Senator Warner. And finally, Larry Fortensky, who and she was absolutely unregrettable. And if I had to choose again, I would still choose you and you and you and you and you times two and you. And you. Oh, 
Congratulations, Miss Award winner. Thank you. And welcome back to the show. I mean, you came on this show before you did your first performance. And I feel, well, you and I were at 54 Below the night you told me about this show. And I feel like I have been part of this trajectory of watching this grow and grow and grow. So I am so proud of you, Anne. This is Thank just, you. I've been I watching this journey. You said to me that night, I want to be on your radar. <laughs> and you have been. <laughs> well, tell them the story for those who don't know. Um, well, I, 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 all my life, I was told I looked like Elizabeth Taylor from National Velvet, only National Velvet when she was 12. I just would always be told, you know, and my mother started it. Uh, she said, oh, my, you could play her daughter someday. And I I came to New York. I got cast as the cabaret intern at the Williamstown Theater Festival and sang with Austin Pendleton. And then I studied with him at HB and he had me audition for the first Broadway play he directed. And it was a Little Foxes with Lillian Hellman. And I got cast as Elizabeth Taylor's daughter. It was my first equity job. She and I joined equity together, but my mother had just died right before, um, and she took me under her wing maternally, you know. And so a lot of what it's about is our bond and our friendship for life and um, and fun. It's got, got it's a lot of fun stories woven with a great American songbook and Broadway. And um, I, I started writing it in the fall of 2018. Well, I'll tell you what I love about the show. It's not gossipy. No, uh, it's a it's a true celebration of who Elizabeth Taylor uh, was and is. Um, and when I saw the show, I didn't want it to end. It was so great. Yeah. But I, you know, Anne and I, I was at Fifty Four Below one night, and I told this story many times on the show. And I was beginning to write my show, The Magic of Believing, and I'm telling this story about going to see the Little Foxes. And I was fortunate enough to be invited backstage. And I met Elizabeth Taylor and she kissed me. And I'm telling the story about going backstage and I'm describing the dressing room. And Anne was sitting at the next table, eavesdropping. And <laughs> yeah. Anne came over and Anne said, I played her daughter in that show. And Anne, you know, validated my story because I described the dressing room exactly as it was. And I said, please, because I didn't have any photographs or anything to describe the dressing room except for my memories, which were vivid. And, and so, and then Anne told me about the show and I said, please, I've got to be there, you know, and it's just, it, it's an incredible show. You're about to take the show to San Francisco. Um, and uh, will this be the first time on the West Coast? Yeah. Uh, so far, I've gone to uh, Feinstein's at Hotel Carmichael. Uh, that's in Carmel, Indiana. And I did uh, Davenport's in Chicago. But this is the first time on the West Coast. And it's going to be Mother's Day weekend, which is kind of neat because the, the theme yeah. of mother is, you know, in the show quite a bit. So I'm excited. It's Hotel Feinstein's Hotel Nico. So I have to show this because I got mine in 1998. That's how long. And they were very small back then. Oh. But they've gotten bigger. Yeah. And getting a Bistro Award is such a big thing because this is selected by the critics. And uh, you get a phone call. At least that's the way it used to be. Um, where were you when you got the phone call that you won the Bistro Award? I got, the, I got an email. And I was... Uh... I was in Charlottesville uh, with my husband at uh, at our little cottage that we have there. My husband's a professor at the UVA. And, um, and at first I, I thought, oh, Sherry Aker, something from Sherry Aker. Oh, and I opened it up and it was like, you know, you will be receiving. And I just was like, Charlie, I'm getting a Bistro Award. And he said, what's that? <laughs> but um, yeah, it was like. Very surprising and, and thrilling. And, so, uh, um, you know, Elizabeth Taylor, to me, was the ultimate movie star. Um, rather than going to a mystery question for you, and I'm going to start with you, Sarah, 
When you were a little girl, did your family ever go to the drive-in movies? Oh, as a matter of fact, no. I went to my first drive-in movie because my father thought movies were ridiculous when I was on a date at like age 17 and the boyfriend I had at the time was trying to think of all the things I had never done uh, for our dates. So, uh, we, and did he succeed? Huh? Uh, are we asking if he succeeded? Yes. I'm sure he did, honey. <laughs> and do you remember? Uh, do you remember what the movie was, Sarah? No, it was some kind of horror film which I hate. So it was, you know, we didn't watch it. <laughs> and do you remember your first drive-in movie? Um. Well, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and we had a lot of drive-ins in Pittsburgh. I don't remember my first one, but I remember the my most vivid drive-in movie. I went with all my high school best friends to The Exorcist. Wow. At a drive-in. Oh, my God. What were we thinking? Wow. It was fun. What about you, Shelley? I've only been to one drive-in movie in my life. It was 1996, and the movie was The Birdcage. Wow. Which when I, I was... Well, when I was five years old, my parents, uh, we went uh, in Conway, South Carolina, we went to see Fireball 500 with Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello. And I remember being in the back seat with our blankets in our pajamas. And it's a memory that stays with me so vividly. I ask because there is a great documentary about drive-in movies and it's been on TCM and there's a sequel that's coming out because any great movie deserves a great sequel. And I want to show you the trailer for Back to the Drive-In and we're going to meet the lady behind this film uh, in just a moment, uh, April Wright. But first of all, here's the, uh, here's the trailer. Hi everyone, this is Ben coming to you live. Our weather right now is actually pretty fantastic. It'll be a really nice night for driving movies. Normally expect two to three hundred, five hundred and fourteen, nine hundred cars. That's a lot of people in here. My buddy says, hey, whatever happened to that driving idea? He goes, put it in your backyard. That night, it was like an infusion in me to bring it back, to make it happen. There was something called showmanship. Beer garden is open, he's making white Russians. You're not going to get that on your TV at home. It's just, it's all a labor of love. We're still in the midst of this uncertainty. Dame date streaming with new movies. Is that going to be a permanent thing? Counting what we made today, $5. Biggest problem now is having employees, people to help, barely getting by. Then you get into, what the hell's going to happen to me today? This is our current situation. Movies used to mean something. and People used to anticipate their release. Will it survive? I don't know. I thought it would really be fun to spend our retirement at a drive-in. I didn't realize that we would spend our retirements on a drive-in. I think that one of the positives is more people will go to drive-ins that maybe hadn't gone before. I fell in love with it. This is like the best form of entertainment. When the kids get out of the car, the smile on their face. You can't put a price on that. It's memories that people will keep forever. Uh-huh, y'all enjoy the movie. April, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks. April, Good to be back. <laughs> uh, April, you know, uh, my husband Danny and I, we were on vacation last summer in Provincetown and we went to Wellfleet uh, to see Space Jam, <laughs> which was the mo it wasn't a movie that we would have ever gone to see on any other level, except that we wanted to go to a drive in movie theater. I mean, I had not been. Well, to you know what's funny? I don't know how many weeks they played Space Jam, but that I was there shooting during Space Jam. We might have been there at the same time and not even known it. <laughs> that's so funny. That's so well, I didn't see any film crews there at all while we were there. Um, yeah, that's was, so funny. <laughs> it was so much fun to be there because it was literally like going back in time. The Wellfleet is really a drive-in that's like that. Almost everything about it is original. The screen, the snack bar, the sign, the marquee. Um, and they even keep their speakers going at that drive-in, which is one thing we talk about in the movie. 
um, so that, that you can have that authentic experience. So, um, yeah, that's pretty cool. It's an awesome drive-in. I think the French fries are even uh, uh, from that. Uh, <laughs> 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 so, Avril, what is it about this genre of film that really attracts you? Well, I went to movies growing up. Uh, my family took me to drive-ins. We also had um, what they call neighborhood movie palace down at the end of my street, which was about an 800 seat single screen theater with a balcony that many of us grew up with. And so I, I, uh, I saw some of the drive-ins going away and some of the, the big movie palaces also not um, being preserved. And, um, and the first documentary I made was about drive-ins. It actually is the 10 year anniversary of my first um, documentary. It was called Going Attractions, The Definitive Story of the American Drive-In Movie. Because I knew we still love films, we still love cars, so why hadn't they survived? We had almost 5,000 at one time. And I wasn't even making films when I first thought this might make a good documentary and I wanted to know why, why they hadn't survived as much. There were about a thousand drive-ins left. And then a few years later, I was starting to make films and there were only 500 left. And so I was like, boy, they're going fast. I better get on the road before they're all gone. So I did. I drove the whole country, um, took the southern route once and the northern route a, a second summer because a lot of them are just open during the summer. And um, I ended up going to every single state except Alaska. Alaska has drive-ins. I had drive-ins. I just haven't been there yet. But I ended up visiting um, just by a side effect of making that film. I went to over 500 drive-in locations, either open drive-in, drive-ins closed, abandoned, the remnants. or And sometimes I went to the former site to see what is there today instead of the drive-in. And so um, I, I made that first film. And then um, I wanted to revisit it because drive-ins got a lot of attention during the pandemic. Um, but kind of what you see in the film, even though a lot of people did go back to the drive-in, um, they were still struggling. So I since I got to know a lot of drive-in owners because of the first film, I just wanted to do the follow-up. And it was something I could make during the pandemic. Like, you know, you were talking about making something over Zoom. That was what I could do was get in the car by myself and drive across the country again and shoot and make a film. <laughs> did you really go off by yourself? Did you, did you didn't have any film crew at all with you? The, we shot at one, I'm based in Los, I'm from Chicago, but I'm based in Los Angeles now. And so one in the film, the Mission Tiki drive-in, I did have a small crew there. Uh, but when I went on the road, it was just me. So I had my primary camera, I had a drone, and then I had a, a GoPro that I would do a time lapse from day to night, from empty lot to full. And mm -hmm. I knew between those three cameras, I would have enough to cut it because I also edit. And wow. so, yeah, I took a road trip by myself, cross country back during 2021, kind of the second part of the pandemic and made this film. <laughs> and now it's out. It's on VOD and it played in theaters last summer and it'll probably still book some dates this summer at some drive-ins too. What was the biggest change uh, from the first film to, uh, obviously we all grow, uh, but what yeah. was the biggest change for you from the first film to the second film? Well, the first film was about the history. So it kind of starts with, you know, early cinema, the invention of the drive-in, why, why they came to be, why they grew, which was really uh, after World War II, along with the baby boom and the GI Bill funding suburban uh, expansion and all these things converged that made drive-ins the thing. TV wasn't really a thing yet. So people went to the drive-in. And then when you get into the early 80s, it was another convergence that had to do with VHS and cable television and multiplexes and all these other things that that um, shifted things. So and then it went all the way up to the mid 2000s where digital projection was a big scare. Everybody was like, are these independent cinemas and drive ins going to be able to you know, you pay that big price tag? to get the digital projectors when they're not getting the studio support that the big chains had, right? And so um, they they survived. Almost every drive-in did make it through that phase, but then they're still struggling and the total number is still going down and they're almost all family owned. And so that was the thing for me was I wanted to show these are entrepreneurs, these are family businesses, sometimes third generation in the same family. And um, and I just wanted to show how hard they're how they're working behind the scenes to keep these places alive. 
Amazing. And uh, have these fil- have, have, has this film been shown in the drive-in movie theaters as well? It did. We actually, um, so uh, the first drive-in, this is the 90th anniversary of the first drive-in. The very first one was in Camden, New Jersey, and it opened June 6, 1933. And this is the 90th year. But last year on drive-in day, on June 6th, we put it on 20 drive-in screens in 13 different states. And I was actually the top, the second per screen average after Top Gun Maverick that day. (laughs) So we had a great turnout. That was really cool. And then it actually played, um, we did a theatrical release and it played at a bunch of indoor theaters and drive-ins as well. And then it just came out a couple weeks ago on VOD. So now it's on anywhere you anywhere you see a new release. It's on Amazon, Apple TV, Google Play, Voodoo, all over the place. You can find it right now. Now, will this be going to TCM? Is there a possibility of that happening? I don't know. I'm not sure. I haven't talked to them yet. I'm with a distributor and they're figuring out who the broadcast or streaming partner will be. So it'll end up on some platform, um, but we're not we're not at that stage of the release yet right now. It's just on VOD because it, it literally came out in March. And um, although they do have it on some airlines already, I had a friend um, flying Qantas who is, is based in Australia and he found it on there a couple weeks ago as well. So <laughs> uh, is there Sometimes a- your movie pops up places and you're like, I didn't even know it was there. Okay, great. <laughs> is there a favorite drive-in movie theater of yours and if uh so and what makes it such a favorite of yours i i cannot choose i always say that there's so few of them left there's going into the pandemic there were about 305 left and so this is down from over 5,000 at the peak since the pandemic more have closed and so it's under 300 i don't know the exact number so i always say if the drive-in is still open and it's the one closest to you, That's that should be your favorite drive-in. Go support that one. Um, but I tried to show in this documentary all different types of drive-ins because um, there's a huge variety. People don't, don't realize that. I showed some that, you know, traditional, don't serve alcohol, but some do now. Um, the one that you saw a little bit in the clips, they were showing the Big Lebowski and they had dude cookies and they were making white Russians because they, they have a bar. So they seem <laughs> drinks with the films and, and um, it's a lot of fun at that drive-in. And then I showed, you know, I showed the huge drive-ins that have like seven screens and some that like the Wellfleet that had, just have a single screen. I showed some that are very old that have been around for years that the same owners have had them 37 years. I showed one that just had opened brand new in Nebraska uh, about three weeks before I got there. It was built from scratch and they had just opened. Um, So I tried to show all different types and that there's all different versions of the experience. And I see that in some places people are uh, actually uh, in marinas and boats are going out and seeing, uh, you know, films on uh, out in the middle of the Hudson. I've River. seen a few things like that. Yeah, where people do it with boats. I saw one where they were playing Jaws and people were out in like floating devices in a lake or something. So yeah, there's different variations. I don't know that I would do that, but. <laughs> oh, I would love it. I, I, I would love that. I just um, wanted to say that I don't know if you, if you probably did come across this, but I can remember being a kid and being taken to the drive-in to go to church. Yes, oh, yeah. there services in the drive-in, and and uh, so we were in our PJs and in the back of the station wagon, and that was a good time to go to sleep. But there are a few drive-in churches left, and actually, that's kind of funny. During the pandemic, when everything else was shut, drive-ins were doing everything in the beginning of the pandemic. So they had church services, they had music concerts, they had graduations, they had like you know everything that you couldn't do at an indoor venue at the time. So a lot of church services came back to drive-ins recently, but there are a few around the country that still do that. Yeah. Do you think that there will be a resurgence uh, with drive-in movie theaters or do you think? That's what we're waiting to see it. When the pandemic happened and got a lot of press on them, but as I, as I show in the film behind the scenes, there's still challenges. They, they had supply chain issues. They couldn't get employees. They had really, unruly customers, kind of like the airlines. People didn't want to follow the rules. They didn't want to wear their masks. You know, they're fighting with 
teenage kids working there, getting, you know, lots Unru of, lots I, I, of I, 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 you're saying that there are unruly people out there. Yes. <laughs> Especially after COVID, I think people were used to being the Kings of their castle inside their four walls of their house. And then they forgot how to behave when they went to a public place. Um, so yeah, a lot of that. And so a lot of owners just felt, and also the studios were not releasing new product and it, they were sending movies straight to the streamers and saying, you know, whatever about the theatrical experience. Well, now that's coming back. I think now they're realizing the theatrical piece is important. The movies don't perform as well, the whole industry, you know, so I think it's, they had a chance to try out what happens if we don't go to theaters and we just stream. And I think most of them are like, we, we like going to theaters, but at the time during COVID, they were like, you know, we're kind of fighting an uphill battle here. There's so many problems. I'm just going to get out of it. So a number of owners did get out of it and then sold their drive-ins. Um, but at the same time, a bunch that have been closed for decades have been reopened. Um, one just opened in New York State um, that had been closed for probably 30 years, maybe more. And same, there's one outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma that just reopened that had been closed for decades. It was it was one of the ones I visited on my first trip, making the first documentary that was abandoned. And now it's back to life. So it's kind of a mixed bag right now. I think we're all optimistic um, that the number will go back up, but um, it's a it's a trying time for to get people you know off their butts and out to a theater to see a movie or or even Any, see live shows. Anything. You know, it's it's Any. a thing. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a, a nursery near where I live that used to be an, a a drive-in movie theater. Um, there's a great photograph, and I'm sure you know it, uh, that was in Life magazine uh, of the drive-in movie theater with the Ten Commandments. Um, is there any particular film that you would have killed practically to see in a drive-in movie theater? Wow, that is a great question um, that I wished I could have seen. Well, I have to go to, this is going to be weird, and you were talking about horror movies before. I love the movie Carrie. I think that would be so scary at a drive-in. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see that, but I think the films that do best at drive-ins are ones that you don't have to pay that much attention to because the thing about going to a drive-in, it is about seeing the movie, but it's really about that shared experience with the people that you're with because you can talk within your car or within your group. And, um, and it really, as many of us have talked about on this call, it really creates memories. It's, a, it's about an experience and creating a memory that you carry with you. And I think that's part of why the people that are running them think it's important to keep them open for their communities, for the kids in their community, because it really is about, you know, creating those memories and the movie's part of it, um, but not the whole thing. Sarah, excluding the boyfriend, uh, do you have a favorite movie memory of evil either with your family or something that well, I, I could quickly tell you that i was like i said my father didn't like movies or television in fact we were considered the strangest children in our hometown because we didn't have those things mm -hmm. uh of course we did find out that he was sneaking over to other people's house to watch the original star trek <laughs> but um uh so i but he was waiting he what he wanted he wanted our he just thought most movies like the you know the saturday morning things for kids he really did thought they were very very stupid and he also thought everything on television was stupid but my the first movie he wanted to take us to he wanted to take us to the sound of music as our first movie and mm -hmm. uh it didn't come to our town in northern minnesota i will tell you nothing not much did uh it's better now but at the time you never got anything so my very first movie when it came out in the theater was mary poppins Wow. And I had to be about 10, 10 or nine. I'm remembering when it came out um, and it was magical and I, I absolutely cool. loved it, but I was mostly not allowed to go to movies. So your dad until... was a musicals guy though. Well, it was really yeah. that he thought that the sound of music was a glorious film. It wasn't so much about the fact that it was a musical, was. but the, the, that he wanted our first movie experience to be something glorious. And uh, mm. Mary Poppins was pretty close. It, it, it worked fine. Um, that's I didn't pretty cool. Yeah. So that's my memory of that. What about you, Anne? Is there a particular movie that just stands out that's a, 
a favorite. At a drive-in or just uh, at any in any sound uh, of music because I think for my uh, whatever year that it came out, my birthday party, uh, we we took everyone to see the sound of music. It was brand new then, and but huh, sixty-five, okay, sixty-five. And uh, also, Rocky Horror is fun uh, at a drive. Oh, you know, I I remember, you know, when I I was doing Marat Saad, uh, with in uh, college. You know, uh, yet when I was uh, in high, uh, when I was eighteen years old, oh and everybody was talking about Marat Saad, so I went and I was doing the Time Warp, and I wore these Coke bottle glasses. The glasses flew off and broke. And I came home that night and I woke my dad up and I said, I broke my glasses tonight. And he said, how did you break your glasses? And I said, doing the time warp. <laughs> and he said, well, what do you mean you were doing the time warp? And I was trying to describe. Oh, and then you had to answer. It's just a step to the left. But I, you know, this was like, so I started, so I was, you know, going to, the Rocky Horror Show in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and it's even in books that it, that was one of the hubs for uh, the film. And like three weeks later, um, my parents showed up. The, <laughs> what the big deal was <laughs> with Rocky Horror Picture Show that I saw my parents like in the back of the theater. So that was you know that was wild uh, to see them, but. Uh, so were, were you in the troupe that did the performance under the screen? I would get up and do the time warp with everybody. Oh, do the time warp with everybody. Well, I was in a Rocky Horror troupe with where, you know, they have them at theaters all over where they perform under the screen. And I, I was the Janet Weiss, the Susan Sarandon character, and oh performed that when I was in high school. <laughs> Well, I had Joel Thurm on the show a few weeks ago, and Joel Thurm was the casting director for the movie. Do you know Joel, uh, Shelley? I've met him. I don't know. Well, he tells you know how he was able to get her in the film because uh, her agent did not want her to even (laughs) have anything to do with. But he was tricky. He got her, and he got her in the film. So it's very, but it's on demand. Everybody can go and watch it. You know, Richard, years ago, I was invited to a brunch uh, that that was sort of like being on an episode of Fantasy Island. It was a a lot of old Hollywood people. And uh, Tim Curry was there. And I was so excited to meet him. So when I was a teenager, I'd gone to London and I saw him on stage in the West End. And I told him that I said it was the greatest theatrical experience of my life. It was so brilliant. And he just went, lovely, I corrupted you early. <laughs> <laughs> what was what, what was the show? Rocky Horror. Oh, Rocky Horror. Okay. Yeah. On the West End. Yeah. Okay. You Frank saw him live. You saw him do it live. I saw him do it live. Wow. So frankly, when the movie came out, I, wa- I wasn't as impressed at first because I had seen him yeah. In, in the flesh with the corset, and it, it was one of it really was such an what amazing. an experience! Wow, that was, was amazing. I was you know, 16 at the time, so it was sort of yeah. <laughs> well, and he gave you the perfect response to you telling him that you saw yes. it there, too. <laughs> That's perfect. Wow, but you know, I, I miss you know, we had the holiday movie theater, you know, in our hometown, uh, which was the just the single movie theater. And I used to sit in the movie theater going, someday I'm going to be up there. Someday I'm going to be up there. And now it is, uh, it's a community theater. And I went back a few years ago and performed there. So it full circle, you know, that's just an amazing thing. Uh, But I, you know, I love all of you. I am so thrilled that you uh, all were here today. And, uh, and again, all of the information for all of these events will be on my YouTube channel. So this hour just flew for me. Don't go anywhere for a moment because I'm going to give you all a chance to have your final word today. It could be about anything that we spoke about today that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message that you want to leave everyone with right now. Um, I do want to take a moment uh, to say, you know, this has been a crazy week. Uh, in the news. Um, So everyone, uh, 
when you hear these things on the news, and I don't need to go down any rabbit hole with anything, uh, don't think of it as just a news item and change the channel and forget about it. We all need to be proactive. Uh, we need to be proactive uh, with what's going on and we need to pay attention and we need to vote, 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 vote. That's my message for everyone. And uh, really be aware of what's going on. It's not just entertainment and then getting up and going to the refrigerator and making a ham sandwich or whatever it is that you do when you go to the refrigerator. Um, really put out there and make a difference. I end every show by telling everyone to get up, uh, to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Uh, pick up the phone and call someone that you haven't spoken to in a long time. Uh, they'll love you for it. Uh, let them know how they've made a difference in your life. Uh, not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, a phone call and let them know what they mean. I have a dear friend, he says, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. I don't care what size boat you're on, as long as you have a skipper by your side. And with that, I'm gonna leave the screen. I'm gonna turn it over to you, Sarah. When you okay. finish, you will pick the next person and, okay. so on and so on until the last person is standing. And don't worry about how to end the show. As soon as you say goodbye, the final credits will roll. Everyone, check them all out. They're all worth celebrating. Uh, we're all worth celebrating. Just have a great weekend and go to the movies or a live show. Thank you so much. And uh, Sarah, it's all yours. Okay. This is uh, very interesting how this is ending. Okay. I wanted to just answer what Richard asked me. Was he said he wanted me to say what my habit, my new habit would be for the next 30 days. And that was pretty easy after listening to everybody talk. But in particular, Anne, when you created your show, I was working on a cabaret show, which I haven't done since Richard and I did cabaret so long ago, I will not say how long ago it was. Um, and I had started to work on a cabaret show before the pandemic. And for the first two years of the pandemic, I continued to go every day out and sing in my car. So I wouldn't disturb everybody in my apartment building, but my habit will be going back to singing every day in some way. So that will be what I do. And I'd like to hand it over to Anne for thanking for that. Uh, oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I, uh, well, I, I want to do 50 push-ups every day, just in, <laughs> in, in solidarity with you. And um, I don't know why, but the word glitter came into my head. So we should all try to glow or see the the glitter in others um even when they don't know they have it in themselves shelly thank you and first of all i can't wait to see uh your play and your movie Lee and i'm going to watch sarah's play on sunday uh all i can say these these are very difficult times very very difficult times and do something every day that makes you feel a sense of joy and then share that sense of joy with someone else. And as Richard said, don't expect anything back because believe me, you'll get all sorts of good things back. And then also answer my Facebook friend request. April, it's you. Oh, I can't believe I'm the last one. Well, I just felt so honored to be with so many talented women on this call. Um, I'm very honored. And I think my thing is uh, the weather's getting nicer and a lot of drive-ins are reopening. And if you want to have that experience again, um, look, look up the drive-in, find the nearest one to you and maybe go see a movie and bring your family and friends this weekend.